Hi, this is Mark Morin with the 206.com podcast. This is part of the New Directions in Film interview series. And today I am speaking with director So Yun Um. So welcome to the show and thanks for being here. How are you? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So first thing I want to talk about is your projects as a director that you've got out there. A short film called Liquor Store Babies. You had presented it up here in Seattle at the Seattle Asian American Film Festival. What is the story? What inspired you to make this story? And then why was it important to you to tell this story? Yeah, I mean, so I made Liquor Store Babies through a program called Visual Communications Arm with a Camera Program Fellowship. And they basically, it's like a fellowship where you apply, they select you. It was like my third year applying. I finally got in through this pitch where I said I wanted to talk about this relationship between me and my father. People like us because, as you know, the Korean American stereotype is that we all own liquor stores, and my dad owns a liquor store. Yeah. And along with myself, this short film also features my friend Danny Park, who, after his dad passed away, he quit his dream job at Nike, came back and worked at his store, and kind of like this, I guess, how our lives and dreams are cyclical to one our parents. And so, it's a very big story to tell in just five minutes. I think the program only allowed you to make a short five minutes. And given the budget, given the time, I wanted to really just tell a story that was very close and accessible and just doable. And so I, yeah, Liquor Store Babies happened very quickly and I was like so thankful especially when it got into so many festivals like seattle asian uh, international film festival <laughs> and yeah they were amazing and so i'm glad that you saw it there yeah definitely and the one thing you just mentioned there's the the two different stories that's the one thing that really struck me when i watched it, it was like this is only five minutes but there could be so much more to this and then it turns out you are currently working on an expanded feature version, Liquor Store Dream. So is that basically just a direct expansion of those two stories? Or is yes. it more more on top of that as well? Yeah, I mean, I wanted, I think because it was five minutes and a lot of people were like, oh, it's just, we want to see more. Like, what else can you show us? Initially, I was like, oh, I don't know what else I can really say. But I think like after a few time, like some time has passed, I realized that there's so much more to the story that I really needed to tell, especially if we're gonna talk about Korean American history, the Korean American identity as liquor store babies and our ties to the LA riots and just race relations. I wanted to really expand it and cover all grounds and even present day. And so there's a lot to the feature film and I'm really, excited about it, especially because we're basically just taking the short and making it so much bigger, so much better, so much more emotional and dense. Even though the five minutes, yeah, it was, it packed a, a lot of punch. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of emotion in that story. Just the thoughts that your dad had about you and you wanting to be a filmmaker. There was a couple pretty emotional moments in there. What was his view of then you wanting to expand it into a full feature? Because in some of the comments, it didn't sound like he was really on board with you being a filmmaker. I mean, my parents are always just very supportive, like skeptical, but supportive. <laughs> so I think when I told them that I wanted to expand it, they were like, okay, well, like, I don't know if they really asked any questions. I just said, like, this is like what it will entail. You're obviously going to have to be more involved in the story. And I think they were just welcoming. 
like they haven't really said anything. I think the one thing they're like, when is it gonna be done? <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so especially now, the way this year has gone, I know when you and I first started talking, you were editing the movie. Was that process stalled out quite a bit once the world started changing? We were pretty much on track to continue our edit and the pandemic didn't really interfere with any of our plans initially. I think the only aspect that it really is affecting us is our ability to get more funding and find more funding. But beyond that, I think we've always been on track to like, let's still continue edit throughout this year and potentially finish quote unquote September. But I don't think that is actually the case anymore. And so it's, I think we're really going to try to do the film justice by spending a lot more time with it and exploring a lot of things, especially because not just the pandemic, but after the uprisings that happened across the U.S. after George Floyd's death, a lot of issues have come up and things that were presented in the film initially, we were kind of facing again. And so there was a lot of things to explore and the story really just continued on. So I had to continue filming by myself as well as, I mean, our crew is very small. And so I think, I guess now we are, it would work with like quarantine or um, the pandemic guidelines. But beyond that, I've been pretty much shooting by myself, gathering materials, keep working at it in whatever capacity that I can without feeling like, oh, it's not progressing. I think in every, like there's so much to do in making a film. And so we've been trying to make as much progress, whether it is creating the music or editing a little bit or just organizing the back end. So things will be a lot easier. You had mentioned that you're really expanding the story based on, you know, events in the past and then also now kind of adjusting to current events. But bringing it back to the short film, it seemed to me like a very, very personal story between you and your father and your family. How much does it mean to you as a person, as a Korean American, to be able to tell this story and eventually put it out there? I mean, it means so much only because it's a story that's never really been told in our perspective. It's amazing because at least 75% of all Korean Americans in the 80s owned liquor stores and yet really? there have never, or at least in South Central, mm. and yet there has never been a story in our perspective. There's a lot of people coming in or telling the stories for us, but it's never just like us in front of the cameras, controlling the cameras and controlling the narrative. And so I think it'd be really nice to see that. and. Mm. It's very relatable, especially the the topics that we are touching on, just not only the Korean American experience, but what it means to be a person in America mm. wanting to do something, but not being able to sometimes. Right. And so I think the audience for it is very, is everybody at this yeah. point. Going back to when you first decided you're going to make the short film and you talked about going through the fellowship to get funding for it, was that like the thoughts of representation and everything, was that something that you were mindful of or was it more just, I want to make a movie, this is my opportunity and then it just, it, did it just expand from there? I don't know so much about like, I, I wasn't really thinking about representation that way because to me just existing is representing telling right. your own story is representing and so i wanted to just tell a story that resonated with me 
because I knew that it would probably resonate with somebody out there. And just so I could finally get this type of story out there, only because not only was it something very close to me, but I just knew somebody else would be able to relate to it. What made you want to be a filmmaker in the first place? Wow. Um, <laughs> Taking it way back, I guess. I guess, well, initially, I this is so dark, but um, I saw Requiem for a Dream oh, wow. in yeah. high school. And it was so traumatizing that I was like, I would like to kind of do this and mm -hmm. like have this effect on somebody else. Mm -hmm. I think throughout the years, I just realized that there's unfortunately things that I wanted to see weren't showcased in media and so I unfortunately it's like if you don't see it you have to just create that for yourself and right. I always knew that I wanted to quote-unquote change the world somehow I just mm -hmm. didn't know how and if that was through storytelling and visual representation and just getting ourselves out there that film was the medium to do that especially mm -hmm. because it could, I, media in general can reach so many people so quickly and just change perspectives and so I think that was probably why <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like a good reason once you're done with liquor store dreams would you be looking to make more narrative type of films like that or yeah or i mean kind of whatever you come up initially with? i thought i would be a narrative director and then i realized i'm just better at docs i mean i'm more <laughs> of a people person anyways and so i've done a lot more documentary work as of recent but i have been working on my narrative films for a while mm. and it's something I probably have. It's just a different type of, I guess, creative brain yeah. that I have to hone and uh, learn a little bit more about, but it is something that I've been working on for a few years. So hopefully I'm, after this documentary, I'll be able to make a narrative film. Do you have some ideas as to what type of stories you want to tell? Yeah, I've been working on it for quite a while. It's just not good right now. Um, <laughs> I always, like I said, if you don't see something, you have to make mm -hmm. it. And I never really see Asian American female stories, mm -hmm. especially the way that I grew up and the way that I want to see stories. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be able to explore that. One thing I wanted to bring up is I also saw you in your one acting role as playing a small what? part and, and go back to China. <laughs> oh my god, I haven't watched it yet. Um, oh, you, you haven't seen it? I haven't seen it, but yeah, it was super random. Emily Ting, I met her because mm -hmm. I was a programmer for the LA Film Festival. I think she just emailed me one day. She's like, do you want to be an extra? <laughs> uh, and I said, okay. <laughs> and so it was, I didn't realize I would have speaking lines. So that was interesting and fun yeah. and very intimidating, especially because I've been watching Anakana for so long and and to be able to, I guess, act next to her was <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, that seemed like a really fun opportunity for you to have. Shifting gears a little, we talked about the pandemic. When all of that started happening, when things started shutting down, you know, the NBA shut down, movie theaters started shutting down, and then just it was a domino effect. From the context of being a filmmaker, what was going through your mind at that time? I knew that it didn't really affect our schedule because mm -hmm. we were already in post-production. I was more, I guess, fearful for everybody else and what is happening in the industry. I mean, I am somebody that goes to the movie theaters every week. Yeah. And 
for everything to halt like that and for everybody to not know what could potentially happen in the coming months was kind of frightening, I guess. I guess I just didn't know. And I was really looking for professionals to kind of chime in. And a lot of people were like, I don't know either. And so <laughs> kind of like riding this whole wave together of mm. unknownness. <laughs> Yeah, that was really the major thing. It was, we had no idea what was going to happen next. Like every single day was a new, like we had no idea what was going to happen. And then a couple months later, we're in the middle of the global pandemic. And then all of a sudden protests start happening because of the George Floyd incident mm -hmm. really became in the public consciousness and people started protesting and it became such a big thing. What were your thoughts as then the protests started taking shape? It really... I, I think it was just this, the perfect storm, I guess, with the pandemic, with people being unemployed, with just people being sick and tired of just the bullshit that America uh, is sometimes. And I'm glad that it, re it happened. It mm -hmm. was a reckoning that we needed to face in America and a lot of people, it really brought a lot of issues to light. I think for everybody really confronted things in our lives that we have to, we realize what was important and what we need to actually confront. And it kind of, it was an enlightenment and it changed so many aspects of our lives, I would say. You know, I follow your social media, Instagram, Twitter, etc. You really took an active position in that. Was there something specific that just spoke to you that said, I'm going to put myself out there and, and be active in this situation? I've been pretty political for a long time. So it was probably not new to anybody for me to be very vocal about it. I think this time around, it really challenged a lot of people, especially mm. because it hit so close to so many people's lives, especially right. when it really blew up. The National Guard was in Los Angeles. There was looting happening happening all over America and small businesses were affected. I think Korean Americans just have an innate trauma to the LA riots that right. sometimes it will get targeted at us. And so there's a lot of fear and then just, I guess just confronting the realities because a lot of our communities, especially as an Asian Americans, it can be so polarizing. Some people are very vocal about it, but some people don't even want to hear it. And so really, I felt like it was my duty as somebody in the community to, if I love my people, I will criticize them as well, just as harshly, maybe even harder than normal. Oh, yeah. And so I really took on that very seriously. I almost became, I, I basically became my own like news media <laughs> outlets where yeah. people were like, oh, I basically find out everything through your social media. And I'm like, well, you should actually watch other type of news, but thank you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, to me, seeing the steps that you took and posting various things and going out to protests and stuff, to me, it was inspiring to see you and other examples of people out there. So I think it meant a lot to a lot of people for you to do that because I saw the reactions and it seemed like your audience was very supportive of the actions you were taking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as someone who has been creating content as well, I want the message to be as digestible and like heard, especially because when it's bad news, nobody wants to hear bad news. So how do I 
how do I create this and package it in a way where it's more accessible and digestible for a lot of people so they don't feel like life sucks all the time. (laughs) And I think that a lot of people are like, oh, you made it really like fun, I guess, to be able to hear all these things, even though it's hard, but you did it in a way where like I actually heard it and I didn't feel like I was being attacked for not participating or being vocal about things. Sure, I will criticize some people, but I would try to do it in a lighter manner where people didn't feel like it was, they felt so threatened. No, that's great. I'm glad to hear that the response was good. You know, after everything we've just talked about, you know, we're now living in this world that's sort of upside down from what we knew six, seven, eight months ago. So do we even know what making a movie looks like right now? I talked to so many friends and a lot of them are so unsure, especially from like pre-production to post. A lot of them are thinking about, well, how does distribution work now? And how can we even make a movie? I thought initially that because if films weren't in production, this will give a, I guess, kind of a great window for independent films to really get more distribution and get seen by more people. But now that everything's online, there's just so much, you have to fight for attention almost. There's so many Zoom events, there's so many things happening and without direct plan, a marketing plan or different outlets to get people's attention it's really hard and I don't know it's just not the same not watching something in the theaters especially when you just watch at home there's so much opportunity to just like go up and leave (laughs) which happens (laughs) quite a lot especially some like a film like mine I was really worried because it's such a community film and I wanted to watch it with the community and if I can't what does that mean and for other films like my films what does that also mean I've seen a lot of films in the past I guess several months that have come out had their releases and they they were able to create some traction and have their own press release like um, Mm. press events but it just doesn't feel the same and I don't know how it works and what the results are on the back end how much money that they made or how many people that really tuned in and so I think things are changing and I think we just have to be more adaptable I'm still watching films VOD because they're out and they're new and so I think I'm sure everybody is struggling, but streaming sites like Netflix are probably doing better than ever right, right. right now. And everybody in distribution, theatrical distribution is are kind of like, I mean, Tenet got pushed three times. Right. And so we're just, I guess, waiting. Yeah, I'm hoping we see more and more drive-in movie theaters. I, I think that's something oh, yeah. that, that should make a comeback. You know, that could be a possibility or you know, opportunity that's out there. And, you know, my next question is what new possibilities have you noticed you know, within the world of filmmaking? Like what possibilities have been created over the last few months? Right before this Zoom call, I watched a horror film on Shutter called Host, which <laughs> is it. a, yeah, it's yeah. it's a horror film, like filmed through Zoom. And so I was mm-hmm. like, kind of skeptical about coming on Zoom today. Uh, I was like, why did I watch that movie before the Zoom meeting? But that is probably the perfect example of just them taking and being very creative Mm -hmm. and doing something given all the restrictions of this pandemic. And it came out so amazing. I loved it. 
Yeah, it was very creative. I like a lot of the things that they did based on the limitations that they had. I thought it was a lot of sure. a lot of really unique creative energy went into making that film. So yeah, that's the thing is what are filmmakers going to discover because of things that they're not normally able to do that to me that's what's going to be the most interesting to see maybe even just over the next year because there's stuff the ideas that people are having right now that we're not going to see on screens you know for months and months and months so to me that's what gives me hope and that's what inspires me that the industry itself is going to be okay what's the general again within the filmmaking world like what's the general like mood of the community right now I don't know if anybody's actually working. I know that some people have started going back and started going on sets and they've implemented a lot of changes, a lot of different guidelines. Beyond that, most of the people that I know have been, are pretty independent filmmakers and so they have been doing things either by themselves or have been working in posts or have been kind of just tapping into different ways. My friend Yoko Okumura made a Vimeo short sponsored, like created by Vimeo and she made a film or like they employed several filmmakers to make something during the pandemic and they all came out so beautifully. And so I always think that given limitations, there's so much room for creativity because you have to really think about how to make a great story with very, very little. And I think a lot of great things will be able to come out during this time. It makes you really rethink and I guess reimagine what a world could be without contact, I guess, or <laughs> right. I, I don't know. There's just so much um, that's evolving every day. But especially that short film, Yoko went to and featured this um, tattoo artist and what tattooing means in this age because tattoo is oh, about yeah. touch and being next to people. But if you can't do that, what does that mean? And what is possible? And so I always thought, I thought that was great and she used animation and so yeah like there's so much that you can do and I've seen so much creativity come out during this time how can can tell a really great story without actually being with people or right. being especially even variety they've done their everything all their interviews through zoom right. and nobody really cares as much I guess as long as the message is comes across. I know one thing you've been doing a little bit more of is putting content on your YouTube channel. I saw you posted a video, I guess this will be aired a month from now, but I'm talking about a couple days ago as we're talking, um, I saw you posted a video of horror movies and you had a guest on there. So is that something that you're moving towards is creating uh, more content that way? I've had my YouTube channel, So Is Real Thoughts, for maybe, oh man. I mean, I've had that blog for 10 plus years. Oh wow. And that YouTube channel, maybe seven years. Okay. There's over like 300 videos on it. And <laughs> I've been, I realized that after a certain point that I can't keep talking about movies. If I, like if I keep talking about movies, I can't make movies. Mm -hmm. And so I've been slowly getting away from it, but I've been kind of coming back here and there, especially when I actually really want to talk about certain films and so the last video that you probably saw was with my friend Zena, the real queen of horror yes. and I wanted to kind of get a different perspective different voice I guess somebody even more professional who <laughs> is more knowledgeable about the subject of horror than I am and so I brought her on and we talked about two really great films and the films horror films that we're excited about this year and so 
yeah, check that out. Nice. <laughs> I'm hoping that I can slowly get back into it a little bit more now that things are a little bit more like I don't know what the future will hold, but I right. know that YouTube will always be there. Always been a huge fan of YouTube, and so I hope that I can bring more guests on and just talk mm -hmm. about great films. Any last thoughts about what we've been talking about before we wrap up the interview? I don't know when the film will be done, but right. feel free to follow Liquor Store Dreams socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out the short film Liquor Store Babies on my Vimeo page. Other than that, I'm pretty much always online, so feel free to hit me up. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> awesome. Well, so thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to speaking with me, and hopefully we'll get to chat again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. Oh, you're Bye, welcome. everyone. <laughs> this is Mark Morin with So Yun Um on the 206.com podcast series, New Directions in Film. Next week's episode will debut on Tuesday, October 13th, and will feature director Van Didavong, whose film All Roads to Perla is currently available on home video formats. Watch the movie this week and then come back for the interview. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of these interviews, and if you can spare a couple minutes to leave a review, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. <laughs>